Oh, praise the Lord, everybody. It's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. It was a chilly morning this morning, but hey, we're feeling nice and warm inside. And uh, I'm excited for fall and excited uh, for everything that, that brings, that fall brings. Uh, we had a great service this morning. I believe what we felt during praise and worship was a carryover of what we had towards the end of our altar service at the, at the 915. So um, we're just expecting God to continue to do whatever it is that he wants to do. Uh, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great things. So um, that being said, I just want to go ahead. I'll be mindful of the time. Um, but I want to go ahead and, and talk to you a little bit about the subject abracadabra. Abracadabra. Um, it's funny, last time I spoke to you guys, I was, I was 41 years old, and uh, sadly to say, I am now 42. <sighs> I've had another birthday. See, as you get older, birthdays don't become very important. They become less and less important, and uh, I'm grateful for the 42 years, but um, I've noticed a few things. You know, my, uh, my wife thinks that my hearing is gone, but Dr. Proctor says that it's not. So at least I've won that argument, um, but I have noticed a few things. My eyesight is nowhere near as good. Uh, in fact, typing up my notes, I had to scoot back away from the computer a little bit, and I was wondering where my, where my little reading glasses were at, and I was driving home a few nights ago, and uh, it was dark, and it was raining, and I remember thinking to myself, I really don't like driving at night anymore. It used to be that was my preferred time because nobody's on the road, but my eyes have, have shifted, and, and with the rain, I couldn't see the lines on the road, and the headlights were blinding me, and I was just like, man, I was like, I just kind of, <laughs> am I talking to anybody here, or is it just me? I want to be home before the sun goes down. And uh, I find those things, as I get older, I relate more and more to my parents, um, used to be when you were younger, you thought you had nothing in common with your mom and your dad. And the older I get, the more uh, evidence that there is that I definitely came from Mike and Nancy Gibbs. And uh, in fact, there was somebody at this church a few years ago that was watching those old Easter plays from the mid 90s. And, and they saw my dad who played Jesus in those Easter plays. And um, they said, you know what, I'm, I was watching that Easter play and I was watching your dad, but all I kept thinking about is that's not Mike Gibbs, that's John Gibbs. And they said, you look just like your dad. And, and you know, to be honest with you, it's just not something you want to hear as a younger person saying, you look just like your dad. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a few things that I get from my dad, um, very, very principled um, you know, there's right and then there's wrong. There's black and white. Um, I, I'll never understand somebody who's handicapped that wants to park in a handicapped spot. It doesn't compute in my mind because the way I see it is thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You want to park there, maybe just maybe God will give you a reason that you need to park there. So it doesn't register. I get that from my dad. We have, anybody enjoy all the mints that we have in our lobby out there? I know you do because we go through one of those big giant bags of lifesavers every Sunday. Y'all love the mints. We call it the mintistry here at First Church. 
But those mints, what I get from my dad, I'll see wrappers. Yeah, I see something right, right there. It's kind of driving me crazy right now. I'll find mint wrappers all over the church, and I'm always picking up the mint wrappers. I get that from my dad. In fact, if you're one of those people that grab the mints and you have them in your pocket or your purse, and you wait till the quiet portion of the sermon, and that's when you decide to take that mint out of your pocket, thank you, brother. Servant of the Lord right here. And you start rustling that wrapper and crinkling it. All I can hear is the wrapper. I can't hear the sermon. And I really have to try to push past in my focus to not hear the distraction. See, the word says Satan will swoop down and distract you. That's how he does it with me. In fact, it even goes a step further. If you're one of those blessed saints who likes to take the mint, and then start crunching it while people, while we're trying to listen to the word of God, drives me crazy. I get that from the Gibbs side of the family, okay? So there's some attributes you get from mom, some attributes you get from dad, personality traits, how you look. There are certain things that we get from our parents, right? I want to read to you a verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. This is what it says. It said, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. He goes on to say, you know, that the waters bring forth after their kind. Everything that God created with animals was after their kind. You resemble where you came from. Okay. Okay. Um, that's why when two cows have a baby, they don't give birth to a turtle. That'd be pretty weird, right? Two cows give birth to a baby cow, right? That's the way it is in the animal kingdom. So there are, there are um, attributes that you get after your kind, where you came from. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God didn't break precedent when it came time to make man. Everything that he created, he spoke. Let the waters bring forth. Let the earth bring forth. Everything was spoken into existence. So when it came time... To create man, he spoke to himself, and he said, let us create man in our image. And then he formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into man the breath of life. Man became a living soul. But what he didn't break is the after their kind portion. We came from God, and there are certain attributes that humanity has certain capabilities and abilities that you and I have just because we came from him, okay? Now, I want to go ahead, and this is going to be the fine print of the sermon. I want it full disclosure here. I believe in one God. I believe the saving name of the one true God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has all power. He has all glory. There's only one on the throne, There's none beside him. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He is beginning. He is the ending. There's none beside him. 
You and I are not gods. There's only one. But because we came from him, there's certain things that we have as human beings that we can point to and say, you know what? We came from God. Now, I want to go ahead and I want to play, I want to play a video. In this video, I want to explain what's going on here. Um, it's only about a minute long, so, you know, there's no time for popcorn. Um, this is something called the resonance plate. A resonance plate is just a piece of metal that has a speaker attached to the bottom of it. And they can um, play different sounds at different frequencies through the speaker. And on top of the plate, they have sand. And on that sand, things happen when they change the sound and the frequency. Okay, does everybody follow? All right, so why don't we go ahead and we'll play that, that short video. So all they're doing right here is they're just changing the frequency, the hertz level. And every time they change the hertz level, they get a different geometric shape and a different pattern emerges on the plate. Now pay attention to these shapes. The perfect circles here. This one's a little more complex. Okay, so what we're seeing there is we're actually seeing sound visible because sound causes vibrations. In fact, if you put your hand in front of your mouth and you yell really loud, go ahead and do that. No, yell really loud. It's okay. Listen, we're not going to get kicked out, all right? It's not preschool. All right, go ahead. Do you feel that? Do you feel the vibration, Marky Mark? Okay. All the 90s kids got it. There is a vibration that, is, that comes with sound, all right? Um, and that is what we are seeing here. Now, we know that according to Genesis, God spoke everything into existence. Now, I have a lot of Bible that suggests that God is actually light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. When God made his presence known in the glory in the Holy of Holies between the angels on the mercy seat. It was a shining. It's called the Shekinah. The presence that knocked Saul of Tarsus off of, the, off of the animal and blinded him. It was a bright light. And he says, who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. Okay? So there's a lot of Bible for light being attached to God. He wraps himself in it. Okay? The transfiguration. Einstein believed that sound was light moving very slow. Who knew you were going to science class this morning? Right? Physics class. We got it. All right. Just stay with me, okay? If you hated science, just hold on. But sound is light moving slowly. 
And if you could speed up sound to the speed of light, you would have light. All right? It makes perfect sense to me when I think that light spoke in the beginning and created matter. Right? We follow? I have a picture here. Picture number one here. This is the microscopic view of a plant. And notice the, the geometric shapes in consistency with circles. Go ahead and go to the next picture here. This is a, a close-up picture of a piece of wood. Okay? Notice the same patterns, the same shapes. Next picture. This is a close-up view of a human heart. Um, again, the same shapes, the same patterns that we saw in the video. Right? It is my belief, and I can't prove this, but it is my belief that when we look at creation at the microscopic level, what we are actually looking at right there is the vibration from the sound of God's voice. That you can literally look at this and say, you know what? That is, that is the voice that God said when he said, let the earth bring forth abundantly. And the vibrations look like this on a microscopic level. Because God spoke and created. Okay, is everybody with me? All right. Now, we have a word for word in the English language, and it is called word. Now we're in English class. The Hebrew word for word is dabar. It doesn't mean only a word. There is no differentiating uh, between the word word and the word thing in Hebrew. So when the Hebrew, they have an understanding of, I'm not just speaking words. I'm speaking things. And when I'm speaking things, those things are either building up or they're tearing down. Words are not just words. Words are things. It's where we get abracadabra from. Everybody ever heard of abracadabra? You've been to a magic show and they've got the top hat. As they see, nothing's in there, right? And the magic word, right? Abracadabra. And then all of a sudden there's a, a, a dove or a rabbit gets pulled out of the top hat. That comes from the Hebrew understanding. It's an Aramaic phrase. Abracadabra. It literally translates to, I create as I speak. There is power in what you say. You have the ability and the power to create things as you speak them because you're made after his kind, because you came from him, okay? There is, um, there's been a lot of testing that's gone on with the power of words and, and how, it, how it affects things. Um, I, I came across a few scientific studies that, that I found interesting, um, there was one that was done with cooked rice. And, you know, we know, you know, especially we're in the second month of school being open. Um, these kids, we need to pray for each and every one of our young people, our kids that are in school, people that are in college, young adults, for all of us. But um, there is a lot of um, 
verbal abuse that takes place um, within our school districts. And they wanted to study the impact of what that actually does. Um, so they had, um, they cooked a, a batch of rice. They put some of the rice in a glass jar um, that said, I love you on it. They put the other rice in a jar that said, I hate you. Now, when the study happens, when the kids woke up of the house, they would come down and the I love you jar, they would say positive things to it. Things like, I love you, you're beautiful, I'm so glad that you're here, you're going to do an amazing job. Very encouraging, uplifting words were spoken to a jar of rice, okay? Now they have another jar. After they were done speaking to jar number one, they would go to jar number two. They would say negative words. I hate you. I don't think this is going to work out. Um, You're ugly. You're not doing a good job. Very negative things that they said to jar number two. And look at the difference. The only difference between uh, jar number one and jar number two were the words that were spoken to the rice. Isn't Isn't that incredible? That's powerful to me to think that the words that leave my mouth have the power in them to either preserve and build up or to tear down and destroy. In fact, it was Solomon that said in Proverbs, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your words have meaning. Your words have power. Okay? There was another study that was done by um, Ikea, and I don't even like, I don't even like saying the name Ikea. Y'all ever been to one of those stores? Man, you got to get the GPS out on your phone and try to, try to navigate your way through that store. Um, anyway, Ikea did a study, and they did it actually in a school, and they bought two identical plants. They put each plant in identical soil, identical pots. They encased those plants with glass, and they had recorded students saying positive, encouraging words, and they recorded students saying negative, harmful words. And they played the audio inside the container of each plant, one positive and one negative. And this is what happened after two weeks. Look at the difference in just speaking words to life. It ought to, it ought to tell us something very powerful. We, we've got to be very careful what leaves our mouth. We've got to be very careful if we're building up or tearing down. There was a, there was a scientist out of Japan it was, it was over 20 years ago now, Dr. Masaru Emoto, and uh, he did a very in-depth study on, on the power of words. Um, you know, you can read the PDF file. I tried. It was whew, way up there. Um, but I did. Thankfully, he had pictures. It was like the cliff notes. Um, so I could understand what, what this study actually did. So what he did is he filled up jars of water. And on the water jars... Um, he would write things like wisdom or truth or thank you, um, I love you. And then on some other jars, he wrote things like you fool, 
you make me sick, evil. And, and over the course of it, you know, he wasn't speaking anything. He just had words written on jars. And over the course of a few weeks, he would take the water and he would, he would take a drop out and he would put a drop on one of those slides that you slide under a microscope. After he froze it, he would look at the, the drops of water and compare the different jars. And this is what he found with the frozen droplets of water. That everything that was positive just written on a jar, not vocally spoken to, just written. The water molecules were different formations. Notice, notice I love you in truth. They seem very, very similar to me. And when I saw this, it, it's the way my brain works. I just, I think of scriptures and I think of Bible references. And, and Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the light. The word also says that God is love. It makes perfect sense to me that those two words would create very, very similar looking snowflakes, if you will. And by the temperature of this morning, like we're not too far from snowflakes. Praise the Lord. Who's excited about that? Sister Bianca's excited. Praise God. It's coming. Just hold on. We're going to get some snow. But look at you, fool. Look at you make me sick. Look at evil. Now, can somebody explain to me how in the world a written word on a jar of water can change the structure of water to either be clean and beautiful or dirty and ugly? Can you explain that to me? If a written word has that much power, how much more power does a spoken word have? It ought to teach us a great revelation. Words are not just words. Words are things. And, and I create as I speak. Right? Look at the last two. Look at the last two. What Dr. Emoto did is he found um, a lake in his area. And he sampled the water from his lake. And again, he froze that drop of water. And it's a polluted drop of water. And then he had somebody come into the room and pray a prayer and then resampled the exact same water. And it went from the picture on the left to the picture on the right with one prayer. Your prayers are powerful. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. If one prayer can do that to water, how many could many prayers do? What does that do in your life? And of course, some of you know I was a paramedic firefighter for a while, and, and this study on water, it, it started, light bulbs were going off in my mind because I know that the human body is made up of 70% water. And our brains are 85% water. The blood that's going through your vascular system right now, 50% water. What happens to your brain, your blood, and your body when you spend time in prayer? 
Are you turning those water molecules inside of your body into the picture on the right or the picture on the left? Because those are the only two choices. You can either be positive or you can be negative. But I'm going to throw you guys a curveball right now. Are you ready? Curveball is coming. The prayer that was prayed was a prayer from a Buddhist. All right, think about that. Remember I told you that humanity has certain characteristics because of where we came from? Because of our origin after his kind? Somehow the prayers of positivity from a Buddhist to a God that can't help had enough power to change water from one to the other. And if prayers from an unknown God, prayers to a false God, prayers to a God that has no power and no authority can do that, how much more from a child of God who's been buried in the name of Jesus Christ, who's been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, who lives a life of separation and consecration, how much more powerful are your prayers? Your prayers are powerful. And we just mentioned that we're children of God. The Bible says as many that are led by the uh, Spirit, they shall be called the sons of God. Right? If you're not led of the Spirit, you're not a son of God. I didn't say that. The Word of God says that. you got to be led of the Spirit. And to be led of the Spirit, you better be filled with the Spirit. And so what we have here is, is there is a path to becoming a child of God. I don't, I don't ever think that we should, in, in, in uh, Pentecost, we should never discount somebody saying that they have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. Because the Bible says that they that come to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's a starting point. You have to come to the understanding that, you know what, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. We all need him. And when we accept what he did for me, now you're on the right path. But you can't stop there. You have to keep going. That will bring you to a place of repentance because you become aware that you need a Savior and that, that you know what, you haven't lived the best life that you should have lived. And you come to the point of repentance. Now, repentance is a big deal in Scripture. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance. Sometimes in Pentecost, we like to go right past Pentecost, or right past uh, repentance and get people baptized and get people filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's the metric. Well, how many, how many, was church good today? How many people got baptized? How many people got the Holy Ghost? Why do we dismiss repentance? Repentance is essential. It's the beginning of, a, of the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. It's huge. But repentance will bring you to the new birth. You see, repentance is not the new birth. 
It's not part of it. It gets you there. Because Jesus taught in John 3, you've got to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. That's the new birth. Repentance gets you there. And then, when you're buried in the name of Jesus Christ, now you've got the blood applied to your life. That's where the blood and the water agree. And what followed you into the baptismal tank does not follow you out. And then after that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is an incredible, supernatural, powerful event. And it's for everybody. Because the Bible says that this promise, what promise? The promise of his spirit is unto you, it's unto your children, and all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God should call. It doesn't sound like God is, is going to prefer you over me. In fact, the word says he's no respecter of persons. How could he give me his spirit inside of me and not do it to you? He would respect me more than he respects you. And he's no respecter of persons. But notice what the gospel has in each step. You repent. Repentance is something going on on the inside that you vocalize. You have to use your words in repentance. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to help me, change me, forgive me, set me on a right path. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to walk towards you. That's repentance. True repentance demands change. But you've got to use your words. Jesus decided that repentance would be partnered with the using or the vocalization of your mouth. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we're very, very careful how we do this. Because we don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away from it. If they baptized completely underwater in Scripture, that's what we're going to do. If the name of Jesus Christ was spoken in the Bible, that's what we're going to do. Sprinkling's nowhere in there. Everything the disciples did was in the name of Jesus Christ. So when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ... You are accessing the blood of Calvary from over 2,000 years ago. And if you don't have the name of Jesus Christ, you don't have the blood of Calvary. If you don't have the blood of Calvary, you don't have remission. If you don't have remission, you might as well just go swimming. Nothing happens. But if you do have the name, then you do have the blood. If you have the blood, you have remission. If you have remission... All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But notice, notice the intentionality of God when he said the name of Jesus Christ has to be spoken in water baptism. So we're speaking in repentance. They're speaking in water baptism. And when you're filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost... We debate a lot about, well, you know, is that, is that just a gift of the Spirit? Or, you know, is that, a, is that a heaven or hell issue? Is that a salvation issue? I don't enter into those debates. My, my viewpoint is, I believe you need the Holy Ghost. 
Because Jesus said in John 3, except you're born of water and spirit, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. But I don't fall for the trap. My approach is, you mean to tell me that the spirit of God that spoke everything into existence, the great I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the root of David, wants to live inside of me and help me and assist me through the ups and downs of everyday life? Set heaven aside, set hell aside. I need the Spirit of God just to get through life. It's essential to my life. And I don't understand why anybody wouldn't want a gift that God has for you. But when you're filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's evidence, right? We know that we read in the book of Acts, the evidence is speaking in other tongues, speaking in a heavenly language. It's a beautiful thing that God gave us. But in every single one of the gospel, there is speaking because we serve a speaking God. And as he speaks, he creates. And we're after his kind. We're his children. So how much more power and authority do your words have? Because the Bible says that you're the called out ones. Right? You're a brand new creation in him. So there's humanity, and then there's the called out ones. Humanity has a certain level of ability. They can speak to a plant and cause the plant to wither over time. They can speak to rice and cause it to get a little bit moldy. But you're not everybody else. You're the people of God. You're the ones who have his name applied to your life. As many who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've got his name. You've got his blood. You've got his spirit. You're submitted to his word. When you speak, things change. They have to. It's like Joseph in the Old Testament. Pharaoh said, here's my ring. Here's my coat. Here's my scepter. Carry on business. And I believe that's what God did. He says, you know what? I'm leaving. But keep the store open. Everything I've told you to do, do it. Keep business going. Here's my ring. Here's my robe. Here's my scepter. I'll be back. Carry on business. That's why we have verses like this. Uh, Peter walking past a man begging. And, and he says, silver and gold have I none. Jesus, please help this man. That ain't what it says. We're on the other side of Calvary now. And when you're sensitive to the Spirit of God and the will of God in the moment, and you sense God wanting to do something for somebody, that increases your faith, and you know God wants to do something. What do you want to do, Lord? See, we can't just do whatever we want to do. It has to be according to His will, which is what Jesus says. I only do the will of my Father, right? But when God prompts you in the Holy Ghost to do something, step into the supernatural, speak the word only. 
Because Peter said, silver and gold have I none, such as I have, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. We fall into the comfort zone of, of asking God to do everything. And God says, I've given you my name. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my blood. Why are you always coming to me asking? Now, like I said, I can't heal nobody. But I house the power that can. And when he says pray, I'm doing it. When he says, hey, I want to heal somebody, I'm speaking it. And I don't do the work, but it's the God who lives inside of me that does the work. And so we're the children of God. Not boastful, not arrogant, but with understanding and responsibility. That we have a, we have a responsibility to our community. We have a responsibility to our family. And it's something amazing. My daughter Ryan actually showed me this. In fact, when she told me, when she told me about this, I said, there's no way that's true. That was my reaction. There's no way. And then I started to study, to hash this out, and to see if what she had told me was, was accurate. And uh, Psalm, Psalm 21, 22, and 3, sometimes scholars refer to them as, as um, crucifixion um, prophecies. There's a lot in there that, that can be uh, referencing the crucifixion in Calvary. In fact, Psalm 22, Psalm 22 says this. It says, Psalm 22, verse 1. It says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? that sound familiar to anybody? Because when Jesus was on the cross, these are, he is quoting Psalm 22. Essentially, on Calvary, surrounded by Jewish scholars and believers, he is putting a spotlight on Psalm 22 by, by quoting the very first verse. And they all knew that verse. And if you drop down to verse 6, this is what it says. It says, I am but a worm and no man, and the reproach of men, and despised of the people. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Despised of the people. A reproach of men. What was put on our Messiah. But we lose a lot in translation here um, with, with English. And, and bear with me. It says, I am but a worm. Essentially, Jesus shedding light on Psalm 22, calling himself a worm and despised of the people. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you and I because, you know, all we understand is American uh, culture and all we understand is, is English. But when you study the Hebrew in verse, 20, or verse number six here, the word for worm is tola. The word tola literally translates to a crimson worm. It's a crimson worm. Now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us here, but in the Middle East, specifically in the area of the nation of Israel, they had crimson worms there. It's what, um, you know, they would dye fabrics with. You know, we talk about the, the tabernacle of Moses and things were dyed red, some things were dyed blue. They were woven together to create royalty purple. Um, that red dye they got from crimson worms. It's what pastors always taught us, your sins be as scarlet or crimson, meaning the double-dipped sin. 
they dipped it in crimson worm goo, essentially. So when Jesus is highlighting Psalm 22 and saying, I am a crimson worm, they understood exactly what he was saying. Because when you study the crimson worm, the crimson worm, when it comes time to produce children, it finds a wood structure to attach itself to. Most of the time it's a tree. Um, some of the times it's a, it's a wooden fence post. Anything that is wood, it will attach itself to. And in fact, it attaches itself so strongly to the wooden structure, the only way you can get that crimson worm off of the wood structure is you have to destroy it. You can't just pull it off. And so it attaches itself to the wooden structure, and it, and it will lay eggs. And those eggs will hatch under the host worm. And after they hatch for three days... Those newly hatched crimson worms will actually feed on the host worm that's attached to the wood structure. And after three days of feeding, the host worm releases the crimson color and it goes upon the children and they come out from underneath the shell of the worm that's attached to the post. And this picture is, see the red circle there? That is where a crimson worm has reproduced children. And so the crimson that was on the host is now applied to the children. And once that crimson color is released from the host, it loses the crimson and it becomes a white, fibrous, wool-like structure. Thus we have Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You have our Messiah. When it came time to reproduce. You see, there's nothing joyful about the cross. But God said, for the joy that was set before me. There's nothing joyful about nail-pierced hands. There's nothing joyful about having your body broken. But he saw the reproduction. He saw his children that on the other side of the cross, he would give birth. So he attached himself to a wood structure. And you couldn't get him off. There was no force in existence that could take him off of that cross. And it was Jesus, if you remember. Jesus told his disciples, he says, take this bread and eat. It's my body which is broken for you. Take this wine and drink. It's my blood that is poured out for you. It's where we get communion from. And after the cross... That blood was poured out, and it was poured out upon his children. And that blood covering is where we get forgiveness of sins and redemption in his name. And that's why we call ourselves blood-bought. And after that blood was poured out, you're white as snow. 
and you've got to reproduce yourself. That's why in the beginning Jesus said, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't just save you to save you. He saved you so he could use you to save somebody else. Otherwise, you're unprofitable. The word talks about an unprofitable servant being cast into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. What are you doing for the kingdom? How are you empowering the kingdom? How are you using your words? Are you building up or are you tearing down? And I'm preaching to me just like I'm preaching to you. I got to get better. I wonder if we couldn't just set some time aside to be disciplined in our words. You remember the picture of the water? The negativity versus the prayer? You remember that? What's that doing to the water in your body? Maybe that's why you got a headache. Because you're being too negative. If the water in your body looks like that, you probably don't feel too good. There's some very, very important health benefits that come along just being positive. And what's that do to our leadership? I've been around Pastor Mike, guys. I've been around him when his phone is blowing up. And it's negative after negative after negative. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Cut that man a break. Let's be positive. Don't ever say to yourself, I'm stressed out. Or I've got anxiety. Or my marriage is in trouble. Or my kids are lost. What you're doing is you're confirming that. Say, hey, my kids aren't serving the Lord right now, but God's going to change that. Hey, you know what? I'm feeling a little stressed out, but Lord is going to help me through it. Hey, I'm fighting some depression right now, but I'm going to win because the Bible says I'm more than a conqueror and that I can do all things through Christ. We got to train our brain to think the way he thinks. You see, in the beginning... In the beginning, there was darkness. And we would have showed up and said, you know what? There's a lot of darkness here. We speak to what we see. God speaks to what he wants to see. And if we're made in his likeness and in his image, we've got to quit being the people that just speak to what we see and what we don't like. And this, this government's horrible. And I don't like this president. And we really need a change. And come on. You're a child of God. Guard your mouth. Be positive. Be encouraging. And the things you should be negative about are the tearing down of strongholds. Because humanity has a certain amount of ability with their words. But when you're filled with the Holy Ghost... Now you're a different creation. You've got another level of authority. You can speak to spiritual things and tear them down or build them up. Pastors taught us for years, if the, if the music team and the band would come, pastors taught us for years 
that one puts a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight, and he's gone through the math, and my brain can't even comprehend that big, but his can, and I thank God for it. But I do know that with every person that you add to your, your unification, it goes up by 10. And it's talking about chasing fallen angels, talking about demons. And you have the power, just you, to chase a thousand of them. That's how powerful you are. And if you can find somebody else, now you can chase 10,000. I remember, I remember hearing him tell a story, Pastor, about a president who was speaking to a room. And uh, there were a couple of empty seats on one of the front rows. And right before the president came out to speak, one of the Secret Service grabbed the chairs and just launched them out through the side door. And, and they asked him later, say, why, why in the world did you throw the chairs outside of the room? And he said, the president always speaks to a full house. There's no empty chairs when the president speaks. Just the way my brain works, I thought about the king of kings, the great I am in his throne. The Bible says the angels cease not day and night. Holy, holy, holy. See, God understands who he is. He understands how great he is. He understands that he, he has to have a full throne. There can't be empty seats around his throne. But if you step into a place of worship, your worship has the power to substitute a thousand angels around the throne. And now those angels are free to minister. They're free to fight on your behalf. They're free to send messages. And if you could get two people, think of how powerful your worship is now. That's why I don't take it lightly what happens at the beginning of this service. I cannot be in the presence of God and not offer him something. I, it, I, I don't understand people who can. Doesn't compute in my brain. You must not have been forgiven of as much stuff as I've been forgiven of. You must have been better than I ever was. Because I was a mess. And look what he's done in my life. I cannot withhold from him. But your worship is so powerful that you can take the place of a thousand angels and free them to minister and to act and to move because your worship is done with words and actions. Your words are so powerful. I found this verse, if we could all stand. It's in Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. This is what it says. I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak shall give the account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I've always been taught that at the end of all of this, in standing before the Lord in judgment, 
we'll have to give an account of the deeds done in our bodies. And I don't dispute that. But according to Matthew 12, this is Jesus talking. You're either going to be justified by your words or you're going to be condemned by your words. Words are a huge deal. If we come to the front, I want you to remember the saying abracadabra. I create as I speak. And we have the ability and the power to be so unified in this church. We can create with God whatever He wants to create because we came from Him. We're in His likeness and in His image. And He's given the church His authority, His power, His might. And so I I don't know how you're feeling right now as far as you know, a direction right now. I would just challenge you as I was speaking, whatever part resonated with you. Maybe you're like me and you felt a little convicted of some of the negative things that you've been saying. Maybe we need to have a time of repentance and ask God to help us with our words. Maybe you're inspired to enter into a place of worship that you've never offered God before. That's okay. Maybe you need a time of intercession. That's fine too. Whatever God is leading you to do in this moment is what you should do. If you've never repented of your sins, do that today. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we can get that done today, right now. Don't wait another day. Tomorrow's not promised. If you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit and you want to have that experience, God wants to do that today. I can say that with confidence because it's not His will that any should perish. So I already know he wants you to have it. And that can happen today. So they're going to go ahead and sing a song behind me. Fight the urge to have it be praise and worship 2.0 and just sing along. Fight that urge. This isn't the time to just sing and go through the motions. Get somewhere in God right now. If you need the Holy Ghost, come on up to the front. We'll pray for you, and God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Whatever God's leading you to do right now in this moment, submit to it and make sure that you're obeying the voice of God.